folks, I want to welcome you to another episode of Life Around the Fire. My name is David Hutari and I'll be your host today. We are a podcast that is devoted to spiritual growth. And when I'm talking about spiritual growth, I'm referring to growth in our relationship with God and in our relationships with one another. You know how sometimes you can be looking at something and when you're really not looking at it, all of a sudden you see it, you know, or you've been hearing something for like ever. And then finally, like you hear the words to a song. Well, something along those lines took place with me recently as I was looking at this particular parable in the book of Mark and the fourth chapter. I'm going to read it just because it's so, I mean, it's, right in line with the things that we've been looking at as a podcast recently, but it's, <laughs> this, this this thing unfolded in front of me in such an encouraging way. And I wanted to make sure that while it's still like hot out of the oven, I'm sharing some of that with you right now. So Mark chapter four, verses 26 through 29. Jesus also told them this parable. Now, just let me back up before you go any further. Uh, Jesus was once again telling them a parable because a parable was spoken in such a way that it was a common story. It used stuff that everyone knew all about, but inside of it, it had a deeper meaning. And it was used that way because it was one of the ways that you could kind of like separate people that were just casually interested in something and those who were really interested in something. Because those who were really interested in what was going on would find out from the teacher what the further meaning of that particular parable was. But if you were just kind of a casual observer or someone that wasn't, nah, you weren't interested right then and there, you'd move on. Well, Jesus was a master at that. And in this particular parable, he is telling them a story pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, for those of us who were born in the Western Hemisphere, in the anytime before, uh, or I should say, <laughs> get it straight. For those of us who were born in the Western Hemisphere, 
and we were born after the 1900s, the whole aspect of kingdom really doesn't make any sense to us or very little at all. Any reference to kingdom, we probably would think about Great Britain and how they have a king and a queen, but it's more of just kind of like a a show. It's not really for real. Well, back in the day, the king and the queen were very, very real, and their power was very, very real. And what they said was the way that things would go and how they dressed is basically the dress that the people would imitate, how they talked, the way they did tea, when they would drink tea, all that stuff. People would imitate it. It would become the culture. It would become the way of the kingdom. Well, Jesus came announcing on the scene in his day that the kingdom of God was at hand, that there was now, in that moment, at that moment, there was now, right then, there was now an expression of God and his kingdom that was on the scene that hadn't been on the scene before, and it was going to be growing. Now, that was good news, because the people in Israel at that time, were oppressed heavily. They were slaves to the Romans. They were oppressed by the Romans. They were enslaved to the Romans. The Romans taxed the daylights out of them. They were under the thumb of Caesar all the time. And so for them, the thought of the kingdom of God being at hand was incredibly good news because to them, they were thinking, now we are going to be out from underneath the rulership of the Romans, and we now get to live our life in a new, free from oppression manner, way. Hallelujah. They were happy. Except that's not what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't talking about a kingdom coming to overthrow Rome and set the Jewish nation free, he was talking about a spiritual kingdom that was going to be manifest on the scene that had been at work behind the scenes since creation. And he was saying that kingdom was at hand, and the people heard him say that there was a military kingdom that was at hand. They were going to be very disappointed when Jesus revealed the fact that that wasn't going to be taking place. In fact, that was going to be one of the contributing reasons behind them saying about Jesus, crucify him, kill him. (laughs) He's not going to deliver us from Rome. We don't have any use for him. Let's kill him. In fact, let's get him out of the way. Let's kill him. Well, Jesus is teaching a group of people about the kingdom of God. And in Mark chapter 4, we're interrupting this kind of this whole scene where 
Jesus is wrapping up a time where there was a significant number of people that had gathered together. And if you get the picture, they were first century AD Jewish men, primarily in their late 20s to early 40s, relatively poor in the hot sun. And they were excited and agitated all at the same time about what was going on. And they were having a debate with Jesus. And it was one of those very animated, tense settings that lasted about an hour or two. And if you've ever been to one of those, they are, they, they can get really uncomfortable. And finally, these people started kind of separating and sifting and going their own ways. And Jesus has a smaller group of people that are hanging out afterwards. And, <clears throat> excuse me, in chapter 4, verse 26, we start out again, Jesus telling them this parable. He said, God's kingdom realm is like someone spreading seed on the ground. He goes to bed and gets up day after day, and the seed sprouts and grows tall, though he doesn't know how that happens. All by itself it sprouts, and the soil produces a crop, first the green stem, then the head on the stalk, and then the fully developed grain in the head. Then when the grain is ripe, he immediately puts the sickle to the grain because harvest time has come. Now, the people that Jesus is talking to are primarily poor and oppressed. More than likely, the property that they are living on, Rome has claimed, and so even though they have lived on it for several generations, the Israelites didn't really own it, the Romans did. And so any crops that they were working on were basically for the Romans, but the Israelites would get to share in some of them. They were share croppers. And so Jesus is giving them a very common picture about someone who's planting seed. And even though he was laying out something very common, there was something uncommon that was on the inside that's really encouraging. And for us to unpack this entire parable, we would be here probably for another two or three hours, which oven by itself would be really cool. But for sake of time, there's one particular portion that I want to zero in on in this parable and it's the portion that's just really jumped out at me personally. And it's this particular portion right here. He goes to bed and gets up day after day. And the seed sprouts and grows tall. <laughs> now, the person who had the seed to begin with spreads the seed out with the notion that some of it 
is going to produce a full harvest. And so there's an element of expectation that goes along with it, but there's also, along with that, some mixed feelings for a variety of reasons, because the person that was sowing the seed at the time would have mixed feelings. They would have feelings like, this is really the last little bit of anything that we have, referring to the seed, where they could take that seed and grind it up and turn it maybe into one final meal, or they could take the chance and plant it. And so, with no guarantee, they would plant it, and sometimes they would literally go out and they would cry while they would be planting because they didn't know whether or not there was going to be a harvest. And what they did have, they could have done something with it, but they had to trust God that he would cause things to grow. Interesting. The kingdom of God is valuable, like that seed. That seed was precious. Of and by itself, that seed was precious. But that seed would remain just a seed unless they were to do something with it. And that would be to let go of it and to see it literally go into the ground and die. That is an amazing principle of and by itself right there. The things that we see that are valuable, there's a temptation for each and every one of us to hold on to them because we don't know if we're going to ever have any more. But if we trust God and release those things into the soil of God, he will see to it that there will be a harvest. Now, that element of trust is a huge, huge thing pertaining to spiritual life. If you and I don't trust God, we will have no interaction with God. If you and I don't trust one another, we won't have really any interaction that's meaningful with each other. We might have some things that are perfunctory. We might experiment with some things, but we really won't trust each other. We really won't let go of any guardedness within us and relax and let ourselves say within ourselves, I really trust you. I rely on you. I believe you. I believe, I believe everything about you. And God wants us to know him, to trust him. He wants us to feel as though we are free to take those things that he gives us that are precious, his kingdom, because it's his kingdom, his life. 
but for us to take it and to release it, as it were, back to him or to give it away and for it to be planted and trust that he will make it grow, it allows us to become giving. It allows us to be free from being misers. It allows us to be free from being fearful of not having enough. It allows us to enter into the dynamic of God in that whole aspect of sowing and reaping. There's a trust that is involved in letting things go, but also knowing who we're letting it go to or where we're letting it go to. To have things planted into the heart of God, wow. To have things planted into the heart of your neighbor that you know, wow. Good words, good deeds, good things. Good things that we can do to one another. Loving each other. That's the kingdom. That is the kingdom of God in seed form. And when we express it to each other, we trust God and we trust one another and we can grow and that thing can grow and the kingdom of God grows. That's the other thing. It does not shrink. It grows. It advances. It grows. It develops. And it grows contrary to what the people had been taught in their day and age. They were taught by the Pharisees that unless they adhered to all of these religious rules and regulations that were so absurd, nobody could do them. Nobody could fulfill them. And they were supposed to be doing them all the time. Jesus tells in this parable that there's stuff that's happening. There are things that are happening that don't require you to constantly be working at it. Just because you don't have your hand involved in it doesn't mean that it's not going to get done. In fact, sometimes things get done better when you get your hands off of them. When you leave your hands out of certain things, they happen better. They function better without you. Trust. Knowing as a leader when to be trusting God and not being overbearing to the people around you, having to be involved in every little thing and making sure that you drive people harder and harder and harder, get more, more, more. It doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. In fact, you work things that way, it's going to turn around and be just the opposite. But when we can trust, and we trust God, and we plant, and we allow God to do things without us getting our fingers involved in it, some of the best things that we can do, some of the best advice I can give to anybody is when you see God involved in something, get your hands out of there. Keep your hands off, right? Keep your hands out of it, man. 
If God's involved, I don't think he needs your help unless he asks you. Same thing goes with people. Sometimes the best thing we can do with people is to not get involved in their business. Or if they're helping out in our business, let them help out. There's some things that are going on behind the scenes. Growth is happening. And the good news that Jesus was giving people was this. They don't have to be ridden by those laws of religion in order to be pleasing to God. God has already planted his pleasure inside of our lives. He wants us to be awakened to his love, to his acceptance, to his looking at us in the way that he looks at us, not in the way that that religious mirror reflects things back to us and cause there to be a distortion. God sees us like no one else. He sees us in truth. He sees us in the way that no one else can see us. He sees us through eyes of pure love. He sees us through his own blood. Purified our lives with his blood. The kingdom of God is at work and it continues to grow and it will continue to grow long after you're dead, long after I'm dead, it's going to continue to grow. The beauty for us is to participate, to cooperate to obey, not to become overly involved or to throw our hands up and not be involved at all, but to be in cooperation with the divine nature of God because he has deposited that within us who believe. We are not orphans, we are his. We have his very nature. We have his name. We have his spirit. He has called us. He's chosen us. He has given to us everything that is necessary for us to live life. Even when we're sleeping. Even when you're taking a vacation. Even when you're playing with your kids, even when you're having fun on your own. God, his kingdom, his life, his power, his glory, forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, God, you take my breath away, Lord. You just drew the breath right out of me. It's the wonder of what it is that you're doing, how you're doing it, the fact that you clue us in, the fact that we 
can participate in that, and yet you're doing it or thank you. My mind sometimes just searches for ways to express myself. And so I thank you for the gift of tongues, how you allow me at times to express myself by your spirit in tongues, Lord. I pray that blessing upon the hearts and minds of men and women, children that are listening right now, that there will be a release of your gift of tongues for the purpose of praise and adoration, declaration of the greatness of the Lord, language of the Spirit, God. I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for the rest that comes by cooperation with you, that you yoke us with your word, and that in that, we find that it's easy. Lord Jesus, you're the example that's been set, and I thank you, Father, that you have set Jesus as the example. I look to him, and I say, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Oh, my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed that not mine enemies triumph over me, Lord. I thank you that you've given us your spirit and you've called us by name. Thank you. All right, folks. This has been great, man. I encourage you to dive in. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. There's a whole lot there. We just scratched the surface. There's food galore, man. There's a feast for everybody in there. So enjoy. Take care. God bless you. Bye now.